Well, studies show that 90% of us have had it before. When it happens, we're not really sure what to do with it. Um, it's weird. It's borderline spooky. I'm talking about deja vu. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced deja vu. Yeah, so 90% of us uh, have experienced it. Deja vu is French for already seen, and it's the uncanny experience of feeling like you've experienced a present moment sometime in the hazy past. For example, let's say you go paddle boarding for the first time. You begin to paddle, and the way you're moving your arms, and the way the sun is set, and the, the way the water is lapping against your board, you think, I've been here before. It feels like I've done this before, but of course you haven't. You're going for the first time. What is deja vu? Well, in short, we don't know. <laughs> the most widely accepted theories are, one, the split theory. The split theory says deja vu happens when you see something two different times, just milliseconds apart. So the first time you saw it, it was out of the corner of your eye or you were distracted, but your brain uh, saved a surprising amount of detail so that when you experience it mere milliseconds later, it feels like you're experiencing it again. The second theory is the minor brain circuit malfunction theory. This says deja vu happens as a sort of mix-up when the part of your brain that tracks present events and the part of your brain that recalls memories are both overly active. So when your brain absorbs information, it generally follows a specific path from short-term memory storage to long-term memory storage. This theory suggests that sometimes short-term memories, things that happened literally a split second ago, can take a shortcut into your long-term memory bank, making you feel like you are reliving something that you've done long ago, even though it was split seconds ago. There's also the dream theory, which says you've dreamed about this before. There's even the psychic theory, which suggests you're having a psychic premonition of the event you're currently re-experiencing. In short, no one really knows what to do with deja vu. Why are we talking about deja vu? Because the disciples today are going to experience deja vu. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. I'm titling this message, Deja Vu. As you turn there, last week, Jesus healed a woman's daughter and a blind man, and people at this point are going nuts. Chapter 7 ended with people shouting, Jesus has done all things well. And now we're in Mark 8, beginning in verse 1. We're almost at the halfway mark of uh, the Gospel of Mark. Mark 8, beginning in verse 1. I know you guys didn't hear, drive to church today to hear what I have to think. You came to hear what God has to think. This is it right here, loved ones. Mark 8, verse 1, says this. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them had come from a far way. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed those people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to his disciples, and set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. 
and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmunutha. If you were reading this, you're thinking, wait, we've studied this before, right? Just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, in Mark 6, we saw Jesus feed the 5,000. And the similarities are striking. In both accounts, a massive crowd comes to hear Jesus teaching out in the wilderness where they get hungry. In both accounts, Jesus feels compassion for them and wants to feed them. In both accounts, the disciples only have a few scraps of food in which Jesus miraculously multiplies, satisfying the masses of people, and in both accounts, there are leftovers. It feels like we've read the story before. It feels like deja vu. Well, this is the first setup event. Now look at the second one in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him. Remember now, the Pharisees are a far-right, super-conservative religious sect. They have the appearance of godliness, but they are like whitewashed tombs. They, they look clean on the outside, but on the inside, they are dead to the glory and beauty of Jesus. And the Pharisees have been following Jesus around, evaluating him, critiquing him, And now in verse 11, they began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Now feel the weight of verse 13. This is the the creator, their creator. This is the savior of the world. Verse 13, and he left them. And he got into a boat again and went to the other side. Okay, so those are the two setup events. Now we've reached the the pinnacle of the passage. Verse 14, now they, the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Now don't miss the humor of this. Guys, one of the great evidences for the validity of the Bible is the stupidity of the disciples. If the disciples went into some back room and wanted to create a world religion, they would have made their characters look wise and authoritative and prestigious. Instead, at every juncture, the very apostles on whom Christianity was founded are revealed to be big, dumb idiots. In Mark 6, Jesus fed 5,000 men, okay? So we, we did the math. That's about fifteen to 20,000 men, women, and children. By how? By miraculously multiplying bread. Now, either a couple days or a few weeks later, in Mark 8, Jesus feeds another 4,000 people with what? Come, come on now. With what? With bread, So how many loaves of bread would Jesus need to multiply to feed, say, 25,000 people? Piles, right? Piles and piles of bread. And in both accounts, Jesus has the disciples hand deliver the bread to all the hungry people. So by Mark 8, the boys in the boats have spent hours hand delivering thousands upon thousands of loaves of Jesus' wonder bread. They have bread under their fingernails, bread in their hair. 
These guys are all of a sudden the world leading expert on all things bread. They are the, the Fauci's of Focaccia, right? These guys know bread. Now look at verse 14 again. They had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. So, so they push off the shore, flour in their hair, and someone's like, yo, I'm starving. Do we have anything to eat? And they look around and they're like, we forgot the bread. No one has any, no bread? No, no, we got one loaf. I'm guessing it's Jesus' loaf. Jesus sees this happening. I'm sure he's smiling. And look at verse 15. And he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. In the, in the ancient world, leaven was, wasn't merely yeast. It was a pinch of dough left over from a previous batch that you would work into the new, new dough to make it rise. And so leaven was a common rabbinical illustration for how sin works. If there's just a little bit left over, it's going to spread into everything. And so Jesus sees them and he says, hey, hey, Beware, I'm starting to see same sin of the Pharisees and of Herod in you. Now that's strange because remember, the Pharisees are far right, super religious. They hate Rome. Herod is far left, licentious, and in bed with Rome. And Jesus says, I'm seeing the same sins, them and you guys. What were they? Keep reading, verse 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Yeah, and for the seven, for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? Jesus essentially says, guys, you're just not getting it. For eight chapters now, over and over and over, I continue to reveal myself, and you totally miss it. That, that's what the Pharisees and Herod have in common. They saw the glory of Jesus, and they totally missed it. Jesus is saying, I'm continuing to give you reasons to believe, and you continue to disbelieve. And that's what's spreading into you guys right now, my disciples. I continue to give you reasons to trust me, and you continue not to. It's the same thing over and over, day after day. It's deja vu. And we could scoff at the disciples, but this, isn't this all of us? All of us feel stuck in a certain pattern of unbelief. Maybe it's your marriage or your relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, there is an all-too-predictable pattern of conflict. And, and you know that road. You don't want to go down that road again, but by Wednesday night, here we are, fighting about the same thing. I'm reacting the same bad way I always react. It's like deja vu. Maybe it's your parenting. You, you start the day thinking, okay, we are going to have a good day today. I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to lose my patience. But as you fall asleep that night, 
once again you feel the bitter aftertaste of shame and regret because once again you lost your patience. It's like deja vu. Maybe it's a repetitive sin pattern. You don't want to do that thing you promised yourself you won't do anymore, but here we are again, and you've done it again. And it just feels like deja vu. All of us are stuck in an all-too-predictable pattern of thinking, of feeling, of behaving. And according to Jesus, all of this stems from the same place of unbelief. It's, it's the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And so I'm calling what we're talking about today uh, disbelieving deja vu. What I mean by that is some place that you're stuck, some all too predictable pattern. And in today's passage, we just read Jesus asked seven questions that reveal how they got stuck in that pattern of disbelieving deja vu in the first place. How did the disciples see his glory once again and totally miss it? His questions reveal how they did. And in, uh, on the contrary, his questions reveal how we can have a breakthrough. Guys, that's what we want today. We want a breakthrough from the all too predictable patterns of our crazy emotions. Right? We want a breakthrough in our most repetitive, habitual sin. We want, if your marriage is starting to feel like deja vu, guys, we want a breakthrough in that. And Jesus shows us seven different ways to do that. You ready? Oh, man. Come on, guys. Are you ready? Okay. Let's lean in. Verse 17. Lord, help us. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Point one, apparently, disbelieving deja vu occurs when we focus on the problem. Look back at verse 14. He says, now they had forgotten to bring bread. There's a problem. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. There's another problem. Verse 16, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing this? Why are you even talking about the fact that you have no bread? So uh, a predictable sin pattern for me is losing my patience with my boys. As a Christian dad, my fundamental calling is to help my children know and feel the heart of their heavenly father. God is fundamentally a happy dad, a patient parent. And so when I am angry or irritated at a two-year-old for acting two years old, I'm telling my children a lie about what God is like. So when I'm walking down the hallway to deal with some deja vu disobedience, right? We've been here before. I have 10 seconds. If I focus on the problem, told them not to do this. We've talked about this before. The expectations are clear. You guys, I'm doomed for deja vu. So, implied in Jesus' question, why are you talking about the bread? Don't focus on the problem. Focus on the one, hello, who can solve the problem. 25,000 people needed bread. I gave them bread. Now the one who made the bread is in your boat. Hello, why are you talking about the bread? Talk to the bread maker. 
right? Talk to the bread multiplier. Point one, apparently breakthrough belief occurs when we focus on God's power to provide for our present problem. So if I'm walking down the hallway and I have a 10 second walk to get to their door, if I lift my eyes off the boys and onto God to provide parental patience and grace, I can just testify the times that I have stopped, pulled over, said, God, help me. I need you. Quiet my heart. Breakthrough. And the same is true for you, loved one. If you want to keep being angry, just keep thinking about whatever is making you angry. If you want to keep looking at porn, just keep harboring those lustful thoughts. If you want to keep being burdened, here's how, just keep thinking about the burden. But if you want the burden lifted, if you're ready for a breakthrough, Hebrews 12.1 says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of your faith. You guys, you don't have a problem that Jesus can't solve. You don't have a burden that Jesus can't lift. We don't have a sin that Jesus can't free us from. And breakthrough belief occurs when we lift our eyes off our present problem and focus on God's power to provide for our present problem. When we realize he's in the boat, Christian, you are not doomed for deja vu. God is in your boat. You just tell him what you need. Look back at verse 17. Here comes the second question. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Here it is. Do you not yet perceive or understand? His second in question implies this. Disbelieving deja vu occurs when we need to see more of God before we can trust him. Do you see that in the text? Do you not yet perceive? Jesus is like, really, really? After all the miracles you've seen me perform, you still don't have a reflex to just turn to me? Raise your hand if you have been in some financially tight times in the past. Come on, safe place, okay. Now, Rick, those who have been in financially tight, keep your hands up. Now, raise your hand if God came through during those times. Keep them up. Okay, praise God, praise God. And yet, the sad reality is that with everyone whose hand was up, most likely we're going to be in another financially tight place at some time. And when we get there, we're going to think, oh man, I'm not sure if God is going to provide for me. I'm not convinced yet that God is in fact my provider. You see, the boys in the boat don't reflexively turn to Jesus because they don't yet understand that Jesus is God, the provider, Yahweh, the provider. So on the contrary, his question implies breakthrough belief occurs when we trust God because of his faithfulness in the past. If the boys in the boat had thought about Jesus' faithfulness to the 5,000, even for a second, if they had thought about his faithfulness to the 4,000 that happened literally that morning, then when they get into the predicament, oh my gosh, we only have one bread to share among the 12 of us, 
They would have immediately turned to him and said, God, you've been faithful to them. Be faithful again. Right? They would have experienced a breakthrough. Instead, they're in disbelieving deja vu, wondering once again, oh man, are we all by ourselves? Right? Are we all alone? Is God going to carry me through? Here's a question you need to answer. Is God going to carry you through whatever hard thing he leads you through this week? Yes, that's right, brother. Yes, of course. How can we say that? Because, guys, personally, I have 29 years of empirical evidence that God will use everything, especially the hardest things, to serve my intimacy with him and ultimately the satisfaction of my soul. And loved one, you have seen enough of his character. You have seen enough of his power. You have seen enough of his grace to immediately lean into him during the hardest moments. You've seen enough of his grace to lean into anything and everything with courage and confidence and calm. Guys, we have 4,000 years of recorded redemptive history that reveals God is faithful to his people every time. He never leaves them hanging. Look at the end of verse 17. Another question. Are your hearts hardened? Apparently, disbelieving deja vu comes when hard hearts question God. Jesus asks, are your hearts becoming hard like the Pharisees and like Herod? Look up to verse 11 to see what hard hearts do. Verse 11, it says this, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. One commentator writes, this was not a request for another miracle of the type Jesus had already done. They were asking for a dramatic sign from the sky, something like fire from heaven. In fact, the word test in verse 11, do you see that there? Could actually be translated tempt. Uh, it denotes hostility. This is not a friendly question. They're coming at him. And he, and he sighs in sadness. And he leaves because he knows their hard hearts won't allow them to believe, even if he does something amazing, like feeding 25,000 people with 12 loaves of bread. You guys, if we come at Jesus with hostility, you know, why is this happening? Why is it that w this way? How could you uh, put me in this situation? That is evidence of a hard heart, and it will lead you to be spiritually stuck. However, implied in Jesus' question, breakthrough, breakthrough in the boat occurs when soft hearts ask questions. There's a massive difference between questions, questioning someone, and asking someone a question. God is not afraid of your questions. You know that? The church surely isn't afraid of your questions. <clears throat> asking sincere questions is evidence you are seeking God. God loves your questions. But if, like the Pharisees, we demand that Jesus meets us on our terms, God, do what I want, in the way I want, when I want, while that sadly passes for prayer in American Christianity, Jesus won't play that game because he doesn't want to give you the illusion that he somehow submits to you. If you're stuck, 
if you're stuck emotionally, if we're stuck uh, relationally, if you're stuck spiritually, I just want to ask, what has been the posture in which you've been approaching Jesus? Have you been questioning Jesus? Why are you doing this to me? Why don't you just free me from this already? Well, why don't you just fill in the blank? Loved one, that's evidence of a hard heart. I have one too, safe place. But Jesus won't play that game. But if you will let him soften your heart and begin asking sincere questions, buckle up, you're ready for a breakthrough. Jesus continues his interrogation in verse 18. Look at verse 18. Another question he asks, Hey guys, we, we've been doing this over and over, disciples in the boat. Once again, you're just not seeing it. This is starting to feel like deja vu. Here's a question. Having eyes, do you not see? Apparently, disbelieving deja vu occurs when we are blind to God. Jesus says, guys, you saw me with your own eyes. Multiply the bread for thousands of on thousands of people, and now you're worried about your own personal bread shortage? Are you really that blind to the one who's in the boat with you? Guys, we get stuck when we become functional atheists, when we don't see the nearness of God in real life. Sure, uh, most of us believe on an intellectual, theological level, but as soon as we get annoyed, as soon as we get angry, as soon as something goes wrong, as soon as we feel tempted, it's like God doesn't even exist in that moment. And loved ones, if whenever something goes wrong, you deny the reality of God, if whenever life gets hard, you become blind to his acute nearness, then you're doomed for deja vu. So how do we get unstuck? Well, again, Jesus' question implies the answer. Apparently, breakthrough belief occurs when we see the evidences of his grace everywhere. Think about this. Jesus, the creator of all food, could have made an epic meal for the 25,000 people. Because his power is infinite, that means all things are equally easy for him to do. So he could have made the best sushi dinner with a side of fresh miso soup, right? A tall glass of blessed sake. Like it would have been amazing out in the wilderness, but he didn't. He makes bread and fish. Loved ones, miracles hide in the mundane. The way we get unstuck is by seeing the miraculous in the mundane. We're not always hunting for miracles. God will do that sometimes. The real miracle is seeing the miracle in the mundane. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, can be clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. The question is, do we have eyes to see it? Do we have eyes that see, James 1.17, that every good gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights? 
the way you and I get unstuck spiritually, the way we get out of this relational ruts, all, all the relational ruts that we are in, the, the way our marriages get unstuck and start having some momentum in the right direction for a change, the way we get unstuck emotionally is by having eyes to see the glory of God within the normal things of everyday life. Good coffee is miraculous. Rich conversations are miraculous. Cuddling with your little one is nothing short than a miracle. Sunny streets on summer mornings, all things, you guys, are waves of God's goodness and glory surging over and on top of us. And Jesus is saying, lean into that wave for a breakthrough. Ride that thing out. Enjoy all the grace that that contains. And once you begin enjoying me in the normal things of everyday life, once you begin to really see me, disciples, you will experience a breakthrough. For a change, you will actually know who's in the boat. And it won't feel like rowing, guys. It's going to feel like sailing. Worship and wonder will be the wind in your sail, moving you out of the graceless groundhog days, out of the disbelieving deja vu, and into a world of seeing and savoring the goodness of God. And the ask in verse 18 Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Again, listen to what he's implying. He's saying, you would not be in this place right now, battling for bread right next to the bread multiplier. You would not be in this place if you could actually hear. Disbelieving deja vu occurs when we drown out God's voice. Life is noisy. Am I right? There's noise in the news feed, sound on social media, interference of Instagram, and most of us wake up, and before we're out of bed, we've picked up our phones and entered into that world of white noise. And then our whole day is filled with radio and Spotify and YouTube and podcasts, and then we fall asleep with the phone in our hand and with sound in our ears, and Jesus says that's the problem. The problem isn't that you're uh, hearing too much, it's that you're not hearing, which means he's talking about hearing something completely different. He's talking about hearing the voice of God. Apparently, breakthrough belief occurs when we hear evidences of grace everywhere, when we can hear God, which means just practically, church family, we need to relearn the art of silence and solitude. The Spirit is soft-spoken. 1 Kings 19 says, God speaks in a still and small voice. Why? I'm not sure, but I suspect it's that so only those who are listening for him can hear him. So if we want to get unstuck from the graceless groundhog days, if we want to experience a breakthrough, we need to build in rhythms throughout our days of unplugging, of powering down, of going through, uh, going to the word of going on walks, of sitting on the bench and listening to birds and bugs. I want to make a t-shirt that says, bring boredom back, because it's within the boredom that we hear God. Jesus says, if you will hear me, if you will listen to me in conversations, 
if you will listen for me within community, if you will listen for me in and through the normal things of everyday life, if you will listen for me primarily through scriptures, you will have a breakthrough. You won't be in the same old, same old, all too predictable pattern of missing Jesus. And now look at the end of verse 18. Another question, and do you not remember? Apparently, deja vu occurs when we forget. So all of us have cognitive memory. We have emotional memory. But the shortest memory is spiritual memory. (laughs) We all suffer from spiritual amnesia. If I have a sweet moment with the Lord, if a blessing comes to me, if I remember... If something kind of unexpected comes to me, I will remember that and enjoy that for some period of time between seconds and like three minutes, right? And then it's back to what has God ever done for me? We all suffer from spiritual amnesia where we never take into account our history with God, all the times he's come through for us, all the times and ways he's cared for us, all the grace and and gifts he's bestowed upon us. The boys in the boat are stressing out over bread because they too have spiritual amnesia. They just simply forgot that mere hours ago, Jesus fed 4,000 people And now they're wondering if he's going to be able to feed 12. If we continually forget, we'll find ourselves continually stuck. Which means, applied in the question, breakthrough belief occurs when we remember. The way our relationships get unstuck, the way our emotions get unstuck, the the way our habitual patterns of sin Uh, get unstuck is by continually remembering who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Again, primarily, this happens through daily Bible reading. Daily Bible reading is daily re-remembering who God is, what he's been doing in history, in Christ, and what he's been doing in your life to prove his love and care for you. Another way we can remember is through journaling. Alex and I have probably 25, 30 journals now filled out of just what we've been experiencing together for the last 10 years. Why do we write? We write so we can remember. Actually, the other day I found an entry. It said, it was a few days after I met Alex, and it says, quote, I think Alex Reynolds is cute. I want her to be my girlfriend. God, can you make that happen? (laughs) He made it happen. Amazing. When we're stuck in graceless groundhog days, sin patterns, relationships, mental space, unruly emotions, when all of that stuff is just starting to feel like, been here before, am I ever going to change? Fight to remember who Jesus is, what he's done in redemptive history, and what he has done in your life specifically. Psalm 77, 12 says, I will remember your works. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. And now look at Jesus' final questions in verse 19. Jesus says, And when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, Twelve. 
And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? The difference between the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6 and the feeding of the 4,000 here in Mark 8 is whom is being fed. The first is Jesus feeding the Jewish people. That's why there are 12 baskets of bread left over, because there are 12 tribes of Israel. Now, here in Mark 8, the people being fed are Gentiles, non-Jews. And the place where the feeding of the 4,000 takes place was called the land of the seven, because there were seven Gentile nations. Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites, Girgashites, Ammonites, Hivites, and Perizzites. That's why there were seven baskets left over. And Jesus draws their attention to this and says, you don't understand yet? You don't get that? Twelve, seven? Apparently, deja vu happens when we limit God's grace. You see, the disciples saw Jesus' power to feed the crowds, but it never crossed their minds that his power was to feed them too. They thought, oh yeah, Jesus does miracles. He, he can multiply bread for thousands of people, but it never crossed their minds. Hey, he wants to do that in your life too. You, you see, they kept his glory and goodness at a distance. It's why they're stuck. Sure, Jesus can work in other people's lives. We've seen it, but not mine. Sure, Jesus feels real and relevant on Sunday mornings for us, but once real life hits the fan, it doesn't even cross our minds that he's in our boat and whatever he's done for others, he's willing and able to do for us also. You see, Jesus says, hey, there's 12 and there's seven. It means I'm here to feed all people. Breakthrough belief occurs when we have the audacity to apply the gospel to our own situation. Guys, you want to have breakthrough this week? That's how it comes. What the disciples didn't have yet was the faith to say, Jesus, what you did there, I trust you to do right here, right now. If we compartmentalize Christ to church, to Bible reading, to what he's done in the past, what he's done in the lives of other people, we will stay stuck. It'll always feel like, oh, that's awesome for you, but I got my little problems here, and I feel all alone. But Jesus does the two feeding miracles, one to the Jews and one to the non-Jews to reveal, I'm here to feed everyone who's hungry. My grace is limitless. It applies to everyone. Which means, loved one, you being audacious enough to trust God's power and presence in your real life with your unique problems, during your specific temptation, during your specific discouragement. That's not presumptuous. That's taking Jesus at his word. Breakthrough belief occurs when we have faith, when we have faith-filled audacity to claim and cling to all the promises of God and apply them to our real life and our specific situation. Amen?